What's up, everybody? It is June second, twenty twenty. We're back with episode forty-nine of the Clappercast. I'm Burke. I'm Sean. And we've had some pretty good updates from uh, our pal Gary Bettman about uh, the NHL's plan to come back. So let's dive into that, and then uh, we're also going to go into a a list of the Atlantic Division and who we think the MVPs of each team are. So first, let's cover that return to play. Sean, let's dig in. So right after our last episode, um, Gary Bettman came out with a update and announcement of the NHL's restart plan. So what we're getting is a 2014 format similar to what was originally rumored in the tweet we spent the last episode talking about, where the top 12 teams in each conference are making... Not, it's not officially the playoffs yet, but um, they're, they're getting to play out the rest of the season. The way it's going to work is that the top four teams of each conference, they're scrapping divisional standings and moving it to conference. So the top four teams in each conference will play a... I want to say it was like a three or four game round robin thing to give them a chance to warm up their legs. And it's also going to be used for playoff seeding as they get a buy through into the playoffs. So they, those um, eight teams have actually clinched the playoff spots right now. The remaining um, 16 teams are playing in a play in of is it best of five yet? Do you know? Yeah, it's best of five playing a best of five play in round. And that is going to determine their whether or not they make the playoffs. So that's kind of the easiest solution, I think, for the formats that they've decided to go with. Um, I overall think it's a pretty fair format. As an Oilers fan, I don't like scrapping divisional seating for the conference, but I understand why it has to happen and why it's easier to do so. And uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Are you there? Oh shit! Sorry, I okay. I cut out there. <laughs> Every yeah. everything cut out, and then I was like, "Wait, what's happening?" Yeah. Okay. okay. Go ahead. So I'll just kind of move back a couple of seconds, and then we can cut this. Yeah. Am I in here? <laughs> yeah. I no, my connection just dropped on the voice chat thing, so I wasn't sure. Yep, you're in here. Okay. Okay. So overall, this format is pretty fair. I think it kind of it hits getting every single team that had a reasonable chance of making the playoffs. It gives them a chance to make it into the playoffs. There's it's not perfect, but it's it's about as good as I could do given the circumstances. I think. Yeah, it seems seems pretty fair. Um, you mentioned every team that was had a reasonable chance. And the Montreal Canadiens, they're included as well. And the Montreal Canadiens, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, um, it kind of avoids the problem of having, um, you know, too many teams in the first round. Um, it has that. It still rewards the teams that were doing better than the rest. Um, I think it's a pretty cool system. Um, it'll be very interesting to to see more teams in playoffs. Um, I think the best of five is actually going to be pretty cool. Um, you and I are both too young to know <laughs> what those were like when teams actually played best of fives. Um, so I think it's going to seem like very, very fast for us. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to be a big one because it's, you know, you 
you in in a seven game playoff series, you can have like that one one bad game or the slow start to the series, but you're still not out of it. With a best of five, you need to come out like all guns blazing, basically. Yeah, you don't have that kind of no room for error. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. Um, the matchups are already set um, for those five game, uh, those five game matchups. Um, so we have got Calgary Flames versus the Winnipeg Jets. I'm actually pretty hyped up about that one. I think an all Canada matchup is going to be pretty cool. Matchup, yeah. I think that's the best of the play-in series. Yeah. Um, we've got the Vancouver Canucks versus the Minnesota Wild. Um, meh. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's um, like a. I feel like that's like a mid two. That's like a 2005 playoff series for some reason. That just screams 2005 to me. Yeah, it's gonna be gonna be interesting. Uh, Jacob Markstrom should be back for the Canucks, um, which is huge for them. Um, I I think the Wild have. They, I mean, they've just lost Zucker, right? So I think they pretty much the same team. Um, next up, Nashville Predators versus the Arizona Coyotes. So we've got. To be honest, a couple of underperforming teams coming up against each other. Um, mm-hmm. It'll it's be really be interesting, interesting with Arizona's underperforming offense and Nashville's yeah. underperforming goaltending. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, we've got a team that scored, I think, five goals all year in the Coyotes, um, <laughs> and a team that's going to have to decide if they're going to start uh, UC Saros or Pekka Rene. Yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting. Um, Nashville's offense has also struggled a little bit too. Um, so that'll be a, a I don't know, it could it could turn into a Might bit of one a of those sneaky, series, yeah. yeah. It could turn into one of those sneaky, exciting ones. Um and the coyotes have decided to wear the Kachina jerseys all playoffs. So that'll be kind of cool. Um and then Last matchup in the West is the Oilers versus the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm scared about this one because it's kind of that Crosby factor for me where you can never discount or you can never count out the Penguins because they've got such like that, that experienced team. I feel like that's a similar situation with Chicago. And I, that's, that's the matchup I'm kind of worried about for Edmonton. Yeah, I think the Oilers definitely have the advantage in special teams. You know, they had number one and number two power play penalty kill. I think Chicago's defense is going to let them down. I think the Oilers uh, should should come out on top. But yeah, that experience is kind of that X factor, right? You just never really know how it's going to go. Um, so the teams that get to play in that little seeding tournament, whatever you want to call it, is the Colorado Avalanche, the Dallas Stars, St. Louis Blues, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how they match up against each other. And then in the East, the matchups are the the Maple Leafs versus the Blue Jackets. Um, I don't think I've ever seen those two teams play. <laughs> It'll be no, I, that, that's not a matchup I really think about ever. Maybe a sweep. <laughs> Maybe the Blue Jackets <laughs> are going to sweep them. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, Islanders versus Panthers. This what? Yeah, I'm not. This one's Again, like yet another two, matchup that's yeah, kind of weird. Two underperforming teams. See if one of them kind of gets get comes out of the break on a 
on a good streak and keeps going, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's going got... to be big for Bobrovsky, actually, that series. Yeah. So with yeah. him being a, with him being a slow starter, is the gap going to make him go into early season mode, or will he be able to kick it into mid season and late season mode right away? Yeah, I think that's really going to make or break the series for the Panthers. Um, they've really have to have Bob playing his best hockey. Um, and we've got the Pittsburgh Penguins versus the Montreal Canadiens. Um, so I think for this one. You mentioned Crosby um, and Malkin. You know, P- Penguins are definitely the better team. They were they were flying before this whole break, but uh, Canadians have done it before. They could do it again. They could have a goalie just destroy a better team. And yeah. if there's a goalie that you'd pick to do that, I think Carey Price would be pretty high on that list. So absolutely, uh, that could definitely happen. Um, yeah, and, and then we've I got. Think- Oh, go ahead. I think Pittsburgh, it, Montreal kind of got the drew the short end of the stick there because like they probably could have had a chance against most of the other teams except for Pittsburgh. It gives them a really tough challenge, especially because they're going to be coming out of. I think they they had major injury issues. Like they're going to have some healthy guys back, and you know their their aging roster gets a rest. Yeah. Yeah, and then the last matchup in the East is the Carolina Hurricanes versus the New York Rangers. This one is very interesting to me because the Hurricanes have kind of come out of this whole situation looking like they're scared. Have you been following that? Yeah, so right after the format got announced, uh, Rod Brendamore expressed his displeasure with the with the format now the 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 single quote that is attributed to it is a bit out of context but um he was basically acting as like he wanted the rangers to have to win four of the five games to to win the series or something like that yeah and he seems to be he he was talking about how we've played like 68 games and now we're just going to throw it all in the garbage for this series and he seems to be forgetting that Rangers were like two points behind the Hurricanes. Hurricanes were a complete bubble team. Like they had a very reasonable chance of not making the playoffs. Didn't the Rangers sweep the se- the the season series too? I believe so. I believe so. <laughs> so it's like I don't know, it just can't, it comes across as very weak when you say our oh, opponent should have to win one more game to win the series than us. Um that's that's the only way that it's fair. Yeah, yeah. they the the Carolina Hurricanes um, were one of two teams to vote against this this uh, method um, because they said that they had a harder chance to make it to the cup in this than the normal way. Um, but every other team said it was okay. And you know, you pointed out the Oilers earlier as a team that really doesn't benefit from this system well, but the they, Oilers, don't, they didn't come the out Oilers publicly the most they didn't like publicly they come were... out and say you know our opponent should have to win one more game in the series um, oh and the thing too Connor mcdavid is on that committee that agreed to this and he came out and said like i have to put my team aside and think about what's best for the league something along those lines he kind of has where he was able to separate him him and his team allegiance from the situation that they're trying to develop which is awesome totally um so yeah hurricanes kind of kind of look a little scared um i think the rangers have got a 
good shot in this one. Um, but the Hurricanes will have um, some players coming back. They'll have Dougie Hamilton, who is expected to be just done for the year. He should be coming back. Yeah, um, that's so going to be huge. He was, on a Norris, he was on a Norris Trophy trajectory through the year. Yeah, so that's huge for them. Um, the Rangers will probably have to decide who they want to play in net. Do they start Lundqvist, uh, Shestyrkin, or Georgiev? So that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Um, mm-hmm. And then the teams that uh, are in the little play-in tournament for seeding um, are the Capitals, Flyers, and who else? Who am I missing here? Tampa Bay and Boston. So they're They've they've got a, a pass to play the winners of those rounds, um, and they're just playing for seeding, pretty much. Um, so yeah, those are the matchups. Um, and uh, Flames Jets will be the most interesting time. They, that's that's kind of the the series that's got the most potential, I think, for the most excitement potential. So as well on same announcement. Um, Gary Bettman also outlined the draft lottery that will be coming up for the 2020 NHL draft, which took a lot of interpretation on how it's actually going to work because it's kind of a complicated solution for the problem. But it spoils down to being that the seven teams that aren't returning to play in this series will take part in the entry draft as normal. And to fill out the rest of the slots there's just going to be like eight placeholders that are just like team A, team B, team C that can also in air quotes, win the lottery. So the Vegas placeholders. It, yeah. Oh, Vegas has a really good shot this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, as usual, like they're going to draw for the first overall pick, the second overall pick and the third overall pick. Now this is where it gets complicated because if None of the placeholder spots win the draft lottery. There will only be one uh, one phase of this draft lottery, and we know who's picking where. And the rest of the playout or the rest of the spots will be determined by points percentage or some sort of other seeding after the play in series are done. However, if any of the placeholder teams wins either the first, second, or third overall pick, they will have to hold a second phase of this draft lottery that after the play in series are done, they will fill in the spots with those eight teams that lost and then do a draft out of those teams to fill that one draft spot. If that makes any sense at all, it does. It does. <laughs> like when you look at the the structure that how it's laid out, but trying to explain it is just a nightmare. Yeah, it, it, it is really hard to, to say, but it makes sense when you look at it. Um, so yeah, it'll, um, the one kind of cool thing about the draft is the whole Ottawa Senators having a really good shot at getting <laughs> the number one pick, thanks to and the number two pick, San Jose Sharks. Yes, yeah. So, Remember when we were when we were worried about like how that pick was going to be completely useless because it's San Jose. Yeah, about the Carlson trades. Like, well, what's the point of that first round pick? It's going to be like late twenties. What a turn of events. <laughs> um, so, um, speaking of the Ottawa Senators, um, maybe we should switch gears here. And uh, now that the regular season has been 
officially ended for 2019-2020. Uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to come up with some MVPs for some of the teams. And we're going to start with the Atlantic Division. Um, Sean, do you want to start with uh, the Bruins? Yeah, let's start with Boston uh, first overall in the Atlantic Division so they can get first dibs on picking an MVP. <laughs> All right. So who do you got for your Bruins MVP? So I've, I'm torn between David Posternock and Tuka Rask. That's exactly what I have. <laughs> I ultimately went with Posternock because he had the breakout offensive year. I mean, tied with the Vetchkin for the Rocket Richard. Um, he was just an absolute force for them offensively with the career highs and the season that he had. And he's also in conversation to win the overall Hart Trophy as well. Now, Tuka Rask has an amazing case because his numbers are absolutely phenomenal. But they're also comparable. They're not like out of this world better than the backup, um, Yaroslav Halak, which kind of says that his numbers are a bit of a product of the team rather than maybe his play himself. So I kind of gave it to Pasternak because, I mean, don't score 48 goals without being an amazing sniper. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's true. Um, should be noted here that Tuka Rask and Yaro Halak um, together won the William Jennings Trophy for fewest goals against this season. Um, which, again, goes towards your point of, you know, the team. It's kind of a team effort. Yeah, because um, Rask played... They were kind of a 1A, 1B. I don't think Rask had... I think uh, Halak had a decent amount of starts, too. It wasn't like a... Yeah, so Rask's played 41 games. Um, he won 26 of them. He's got eight losses and six ties slash overtime, whatever that stat is. Um, shootout losses. Um, so pretty good. You know, he's got a really great stats, but yeah, he's had some better numbers in the past, but he was lights out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'd like to give it to Pasternak too. Um, you know, he's got 95 points on the year. Highest on the team. Next highest is his line mate, of course, uh, Brad Marchand, who had eight less points. Uh, Pasternak had a career high in only 70 games played. Um, this is pretty impressive stuff. 38 power play points, 10 game winning goals, which is insane. You know, I didn't even I didn't even look at that stat when I was putting this together, but that is that is worthy. I mean, to have 10 game winning goals. One of every five goals you're scoring wins the game for the team. I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's. I mean, on a scale, when you're when you're team games. ten games, that's that's crazy. Um, you know, he he had just a just a hair under nineteen minutes of total ice time average per game. Um, he was shooting seventeen point two percent. His career average is fourteen point seven. So he was just everything was going in for him. Um, but he was still dishing it out with his line mates. He had 47 assists. He had 48 goals, 47 assists. So mm-hmm. almost an equal stat line. Like just a great year. And him. I think um, an argument to gain, like an argument for him too, as well, is that you know to get 47 assists is also good when you combine it with his goals. That he's not just doing it all himself. He's still helping the team produce. Yeah, and I can remember. Um, a few occasions where he was on like a two on zero with an empty net, and he passed it to his teammate. Like he wasn't chasing fifty or whatever, right? Like hmm. he was being a team player. Um, you know, setting up his teammates, just getting as much 
joy out of seeing them score as himself. So um, I, I think Pasternak's got the edge on Tuca, but Tuca had a hell of a year too. Oh, yeah. Um, do you want to move to Tampa next or to Buffalo? Do you want to do alphabetical? <laughs> let's go. Yeah, let's go alphabetical. Okay, so we'll go. We'll move on to Buffalo. So I think this one's pretty obvious. Um, I've got Jack Eichel. I've got I Ralph Kruger. You. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most Seriously, I've got, I've got the I've got the coaches the as the MVP because, and quite frankly, the only player who had a decent season who didn't underperform or have like a lot of question marks around the game was Eichel. You know, he was setting yeah. career highs, I think, or on pace to set them anyways. But overall, I think Ralph Kruger is probably the MVP of that team or the most valuable person on that team. That after like after the season's ended, especially over the last week or so here when Buffalo kind of got kicked out to, after the 24-team format was announced, like, so many players had nothing but great things to say about him. I, I personally hold him and his style in very high regard after his stint in Edmonton that he kind of got screwed out of staying. And like like I said, quite frankly, outside of Eichel, the rest of the team was disappointing. Yeah. Um, I fully expect Kruger to be like a major reason for any turnaround or success that the Sabres have over the next couple of years. And you know, the stuff that he's going to be implementing this year is important. I think uh, we don't, we're not going to see a lot of it, but any, any major success they had is going to be a result of what he's done already this season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a note about Buffalo here. You want to talk about teams getting screwed by this playoff schedule. Um, Buffalo is omitted from this. Um, Montreal beat them out. Montreal played 71 games, had 71 points. Buffalo had 69 games played, 68 points. They were actually scheduled to play the night the season got postponed. So they they just missed it. It's so yeah. sad for them. Um, so I'm hoping it can spark a fire for them next Flo- year. Buffalo would have missed by one off. point. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm hoping that they can kind of... We've seen some interviews with players just kind of voicing their frustration. Um, so I'm hoping Kruger can, you know, change that mentality. But I'm diving into... To, maybe you can channel it. Yeah, hopefully. Um just to dive into Eichel here, this why I picked him. It's, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, he is that team. But um, so 68 games played, 36 goals, 42 assists for a total of 78 points. Next closest on the team was Sam Reinhardt, who had 50 points. So we had a 28 point lead on for points on the team. He's still plus five on a shitty team. Um, he had the second highest average total ice time per game. With twenty two oh six, so that's pretty high for a forward. First was Rasmus Ristolainen, and he had twenty two forty eight. So he plays almost as much as you know. They're, I could call him a number one D man. They're they're um, on number one in air quotes. Yeah, I did that with my hand literally. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, he's, so above a point per game at one point one five points per game, twenty seven power play points, fifty even strength points. So Pasternak had 10 game-winning goals. Eichel had nine, um, three overtime game winners. Um, I think that's pretty significant because Buffalo only had 30 wins. So Eichel almost got them 
a third of their wins just by himself. In context, that is significant. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, looking his... at his impact on the gameplay itself, I mean, he's got positive possession numbers at like 51.5 Corsi. That's my uh, next point. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, on a team that has the issues that Buffalo has with their actual play style, that's pretty significant. My next bullet point here is literally advanced stats still at positive despite yeah. team garbage. <laughs> good, good point. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's it's pretty obvious that he is the Buffalo Sabres. Um, and I'm really hoping that he can, you know, help inspire his teammates to be better next year. Um, you know, he's had some success with, you know, Sam Reinhart, um, Victor Olofsson, kind of a, a bright spot for them, but had some injury trouble. Um, so hopefully they can turn it around. I feel like we say that every year going into the next season for Buffalo. Um, maybe nice maybe, for it to maybe actually this year happen. The year. Yeah. It's Buffalo's year, bro. <laughs> no, but um, for for real though, I mean, Eichel Eichel was one of the most vocal over the last couple of weeks about his frustration and how much how much it hurts him to to have a team or be on a team that is perennially sucking and perennially having these difficulties. So I'm you know I'm hopeful or I'm thinking that you know if anyone's going to be able to help help him channel that that frustration into on the ice performance and leadership is going to be Kruger. So it'll be an interesting dynamic to see moving forward. So hopefully that that relationship is a positive one and grows. Um, it can help grow the team. They're, they've been a tough way for a long time. Um, we'll move on to, um, shall we say, another less than successful team, um, the Detroit Red Wings. Um, so a historic season for them. Um, pretty bad shall we say? Impressively uh, bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Real tire fire. Um, so the team had 17 wins. Uh, so who do you pick? Um, uh, again, so I've got, I've got Jimmy Howard for managing to have a 420 goals against average, which might actually help explain some of the team's performance this season. Wow. Yeah. It's like laughable that that seems good for for Detroit you know almost double what a normal goaltender would be at with a good <laughs> season um i've got Dylan Larkin um probably the next captain of that team um i could see him being named captain next season um he had 19 goals 34 assists for 53 points Managed to have only a minus twenty one, um, <laughs> um, so the Red Wings scored one hundred and forty two goals all year. They were dead last barely, in the league. It's barely two goals per game. Yeah, so they were dead last. So Eichel had fifty three points. So he's in on over thirty percent of the team's goals. So he's he's generating a lot of the team's offense. It might not be a lot, but you know, he's in on all of them. Um, he's the highest forward on the team in terms of ice time, so he's playing out there all the time. Um, so Eichel was at 22.06. Larkin's at 21.15 per game. So, you know, two guys that are being relied on for basically everything. Um, well, I mean, who else would you want out there for Detroit, your forwards, other than, like, Dylan Larkin? 
Yeah, you got Pertuzzi, um, Mantha, Athanasio's gone. You wouldn't yeah, want him out there, want want him out there for, for a whole lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just in terms of being relied upon and, you know, being in on all the offense, uh, he's got to be their MVP for me. Um, I think, you know, some for some leaders, like, you got to be there for the shitty to be to be able to bounce back and to be good. So I think this will be a good learning opportunity for him. You know, he's got Steve Eiserman there too um, now. So um, hopefully he can learn from him on some some leadership and how to turn that team around. Um, but yeah, kind of a kind of a shitty year for yeah. Detroit. Um, in terms of an actual uh, shout out to a decent player, Jonathan Bernier, who might actually be the team's MVP. <laughs> <laughs> somehow on this team he managed to have a 295 goals against average and a 907 save percentage which are barely off of average like that's pretty close to what yeah. you would expect an average goalie yeah yeah that, and, that's I actually mean, pretty good really good actually for, for Detroit having almost double the amount of goals against his goals for yeah and where whereas Jimmy Howard won two games uh, Bernier won the other fifteen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> totally. I mean, Jonathan Bernier gets a de- gets decent grades, but um, Jimmy Howard gets the MVP for for the four twenty goals against average, just because. Nice. <laughs> so dank. It's too bad he didn't have a like six point nine goals against or something. <laughs> yeah, if he had a six six ninety say percentage, that would have made it perfect. <laughs> 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 oh man um poor detroit um feels bad man um moving on so florida florida panthers who you got they kind of overall had a pretty disappointing season like top to bottom but um they did turn it around a bit and one of the main reasons i think was jonathan huberto Mm-hmm. he's kind of their offensive force he was on pace to match if not potentially set some career highs offensively and on a team with the defensive and goalie issues that they had been having they needed all of the offense they could muster up and he was able to help them provide that yep yeah i've got Huberto on my i've got two guys here Huberto's who i would give the edge to for sure uh 23 goals 55 assists 78 points he was a plus five which doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, Florida had a lot of struggles. And that's also um, the first time in four seasons that he's been a positive plus minus as well, which. That's a good sign. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's above a point per game, 29 power play points, 49 even strength points, three game winning goals. Um, played a lot of minutes, not the highest on the team in terms of forwards, but. Definitely, you know, driving the offense. Um, very important to that team. Um, did you have anybody else that you would give the, a nod to on Florida? I've got, um, for honorable mention, I've got Joel Quenville's mustache just by virtue of Ooh. being there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen <laughs> the um, edited Florida Panthers logo where it gives the cat a mustache? Yes. That is, that, they yeah. should really just start using that logo. It's yeah. much better. <laughs> It is. Um, <laughs> I've got, um, I guess, honorable mention to Aaron Ekblad. 
Um, he should have a pretty good year. Um, he's plus 12, had 41 points, which seems like a lot for him. Um, career high in, in points, um, so pretty good year. Um, he played 22.59 total ice time per game on average, which is a lot. So he um, he's by far their number one most relied on defenseman. So that's uh yeah a, a really good season all around for him. He was probably looking at a fifty point year. So yeah. for a defenseman that that's significant. And he's definitely not known as being, you know, a high scoring D man. So yeah. um impressive. Um he had a, I, I noticed one thing about his year is that he had a huge drop in hits. Um so Last season, he played a full 82-game season. He had 114 hits. This season, he only had 34 hits in 67 games. So I wonder if he's changed his game up a bit. I didn't watch him a lot, um, but you know he had a lot of injury problem earlier in his career. Yeah, so I wonder so... if he's relying more on positioning and, and stick um, and just kind of like rubbing guys into the boards or something um two but... uh two thoughts on that i guess i mean the first is like hits are pretty one of those subjective stats that is kind of dependent on who's who's counting it so you know that could factor in a, for a few of it but like you said he has injury issues the main injury i think he's been dealing with are, are concussions so yeah. you know the the lower physical impact that he's taking per game would probably be beneficial to him for his gameplay now and his health in the future yeah i mean that's a lot of minutes you gonna have to wonder if that's kind of the trainers the trainers or the teams working with him to keep him safe yeah part of it too is um he only had 26 penalty minutes this year which seems pretty low for a d-man who plays that many minutes so i'm i'm wondering if Mm -hmm. you know the trainer's probably telling him you know for your longevity you want to you know, not bang him so much. Um, but also, you know, the team wants him on the ice. You know, don't don't try and smoke somebody and take a, a two minute penalty because we need you out there all the time. Yeah. And we're we're gonna rely on you to play some defense here. Um, you know, he's plus twelve. The team sucked um on defense for a lot of the year. So him being positive, you know, it's one of those weird stats plus minus, but I think it can still tell you some some good information you know it's it's okay um, when you apply context to it yeah yeah for sure um so shout out to Aaron Eckblad he had a had a good right. year and and the context we can use to justify a decent plus minus is looking at his possession numbers and showing that like he still had like the over 50 per, over 50 percent Corsi and Fenwick and uh PDO over over uh, over 100 so that's indicating that there's a positive impact on the ice of his play yeah so Playing a lot of minutes, getting shit done. <laughs> good year. That's a good um, slogan, actually. <laughs> That's my beer league slogan. <laughs> Playing a lot of minutes, get some shit done. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what I tell myself, anyway. Um, so we'll move on here to uh, Montreal. Um, this one I kind of struggled with. Who did you have? I decided on Philippe Deneau. I think uh, I think him being kind of that all situation utility forward that he's he's done exceptionally well wherever you slot him in that roster, and mm-hmm. I mean he's, he excels defensively, um, offensively he produces as a, like a lower end first line forward, and he's a fixture like he is the centerpiece of that 
that first line that the that the Canadians try to roll with with um, him, Gallagher, and Tatar. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just an important part of that forward group. Like even strength, shorthanded uh, power play, like he does it all. Yeah, I um, I had him. I wrote his name down, crossed it out, wrote wrote somebody else, and then after that person, I wrote his name again and then crossed it out because I was so happy with my first. <laughs> my first one so um who did you end up with i ended up with shea weber hmm. um he everyone was kind of curious about him um he had a weird year um he actually got a lot of points for him um he had 15 goals 21 assists so 36 points he was plus eight 33 penalty minutes uh two game winning goals uh, second on the team in shots. You know, everyone knows he's got a bomb. He was using it. <laughs> um, mm. You know, it's, it's going to be hard to get a tip on that too. So, um, you know, he's getting a lot of shots. Um, he had a 24-minute totalized time per game average. He, that's that's a lot. He's not a young man. Um, oh, he's not. So he's he's he sitting playing, at 34 this year. Yeah. Um, you know, he had that weird thing where he was hurt for like a few games and everyone thought his career was over and then he just came back <laughs> like nothing yeah, happened instantly like, like <laughs> i can't remember strength. can't remember who reported it but they're like he's done i think it might have been nick caprios they're like oh shea weber's done his ankle is just destroyed or something and then he just came back like a week later i know i remember that because um someone dropped him in my pool <laughs> and I just picked him up like three days later and he was back yeah, in action. Fine. Um he had, you know, positive Corsi. Um and he's got, you know, definitely a majority D zone starts. Um he just he just kind of is that team, yeah. I think. Um, you know, his leadership skills are are, are huge. And so He's also the team leader in in the point shares. That's like the estimate of how many points a player's contributed through his play. And uh, you know he's the leader of that team at seven point three to uh, Tatar's seven point zero for second. So like it's kind of Weber's bounce back here. He's like you were talking about. He's dealt with major injury issues over the last few seasons. And uh, early on in the year, he was actually he was actually in some of the Norris talks over the first couple months of the season because of how solid he had been defensively. Yeah, he, he he is having a great year. I mean, that's a lot of goals for him too. Fifteen goals, um, just a bomb. Um, you know, Tatar led the team in points. Um, but I just think Weber's defense, mm-hmm. I think, is very valuable to that team. Montreal's kind of a team that scores a little bit by committee. Like they had a lot of injury problems. Um, everyone's kind of in that like forty fifty kind of range. You know, you have, like, they have a, a lot of players like 30 to 60 points. So it's basically their range. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no one that's kind of like having an unreal season, but, you know, they're kind of all over the place, a little bit more spread out. So I thought go with a D man on a team like that, um, helping them win some games. Um, so good job, Shay. Good BC boy. Um, Don. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anything else to add? Any more honorable mentions to, for the Habs? That was that was all I had for Montreal. I think uh, I think that I think those two players cover a lot of a lot of the success for them. 
All right, uh, we'll move on to Ottawa. Um, I've got a special a special one here. Um, I think that their MVP was definitely Martin Jones. Um, <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he got them that, uh, that extra draft pick. Um, yeah, that draft he's, pick's going to be huge done great for, for the Senators' tank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a post uh, on Reddit of the Ottawa Senators' highlights of this season, and it was just all San Jose losing. Um, and <laughs> and I think Jones had a huge part in that, um, so he did a great job. Um, but seriously, I picked Thomas Shabbat for this. Um, didn't lead the team in points. That was Brady Kachuk, so it, he's, he's a close second, I think, Brady Kachuk, but Thomas Shabbat I mean, it was talked about a lot this year, but he played a lot of minutes. I know I've been harping on that for the last few guys here, but he played 26 minutes on average per no. game. You can't, that is like, gross. You can't discount the value of a steady defenseman that, that is providing what Thomas Shabbat can. That he's relied on, like, he's he's really, like, defensemen don't typically get that type of responsibility until their mid to late 20s. But he's 23 right now, and he's... He's a number one defenseman. He's their guy. Like that's that's it's not saying a whole lot me. on Ottawa, but <laughs> he would still be top pairing defenseman on most other teams. Yeah, he's being relied upon in such a way that shows me that he is their MVP because he's out there when they need him. He's out there all the time. Um, they can't trust you know Mark Borowiecki <laughs> to be out there twenty six minutes a game. They need Thomas Chapot. Um, um, you mentioned you know he is young. Um, he's getting, he's no, he's not getting sheltered starts anymore. He's not oh. getting offensive zone starts. He is well past um, that. He's getting majority D zone starts. He's relied upon, um, a lot. Um, you know, he played 71 games. He had six goals, 33 assists for 39 points. Um, minus 18, um, 11 power play points. You know, minus 18 isn't all that bad when he's out there 26 minutes a game in Ottawa it's, sucks. Yeah. Like that's that's the context you have to apply. Like, yeah, it's not a great number, but twenty six minutes a game, Ottawa's not great. Okay, it's understandable. Yeah, um, seventy nine hits, forty two takeaways, eighty five blocks. You know, he's he's killing it. Done it all. Um, that's that's I think, an all around guy. I think he'll be. You know, he is kind of the next Eric Carlson for them. Um, I think he'll probably be their next captain. Um, so yeah, um, who did you have? Uh, Jean Gabriel Pajot. Um, <laughs> That's spicy. I have. I thought about. I thought about having him. <laughs> had to because like everything that I would tick off. I mean, he's the team leader in goals. He's extremely versatile. Like five game winning goals. He wins like fifty three percent of the faceoffs. And I mean, the most important part for the Senators right now is that he pulled in a pretty damn decent haul in the trade for him. <laughs> trade away. Like, he's done. Yeah. He's done so much good for the team this season that uh, I don't think there's another candidate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's a good pick. But, uh, I do MVP agree. With the guy is not even on the team. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I had to. Yeah, yeah. He he was. That's why he had so much value, right? Like he, he was having a great season. Um, he would like that, if he he would be their MVP if he had not gotten traded. But I'm still going to pick him as their MVP because he was that good when he was there. Yeah, I mean it, it makes sense. I mean he had a really good year. Um, it shouldn't be discounted just because he got traded, right? Like, I mean, what did he end up missing with him? Like four games? Like he still played the whole season with him, basically. 
Yeah, pretty much, right? Um, yeah, so that's a good pick. I can support that for sure. Um, I don't. I think not really MVP talk, but just bright spot. Anthony Duclair. I was just gonna mention him. Uh, that honorable mention, like his story, his kind of bounce back season. Like he's actually a pretty pretty well utilized forward for them in even strength shorthanded handed and power play situations. Mm-hmm. Um, tied with Pajot, one tied with Pajot in points with one less goal, and he kind of he's developed a pretty decent spot on that roster. So I think it's worth worth mentioning him in there. Yeah, yeah. So he had a good year. It's kind of cool to see him find a place. Um, there's some players that bounce around the league and never really find that spot. So it's, I hope he gets re-signed. I think he was on, he was on a one-year deal there, right? I think so. I think he had a pretty short leash. Okay, well, I hope season I hope around. he stays there and is able to see success with the Senators. I think they can really benefit from keeping guys there. It was a one-year contract. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um so I I hope I hope he stays. Um builds a bit of a home for himself because he's earned it. Um move on to a team kind of on the other side of the standings here, Tampa Bay. Um I had Nikita Kucherov. Um he's kind of the guy where like you pick a stat. There's a good chance he's the team leader. Um yeah. 68 games played. 33 goals, 52 assists, 85 points, plus 26. <laughs> um, six game-winning goals, 25 power play points, led the team in shots. He was shooting 15.7%, so why not shoot that much? Um, exactly. 210. Yeah, I mean, everything's going in for you, shoot the puck. Um, you know, he's he's definitely been their MVP for a while, I think, and... Um, Vasilevsky had a bit of a shaky start, so um, I think it's I think it's a no-brainer for me that it's Cooch. Yep. Who do you have? I, I also had Kucherov. I think it's it's that offensive impact that even though the team struggled a bit out of the gates and Stamkos and Braden Point had a bit of a bit of a down year, Kucherov was still there. He was still that driving force. He's still like top ten in most offensive categories in the league, and I think uh, his his impact is is enough to make him the MVP there. Yeah, pretty easy one there. Um, I guess a, another bright spot for Tampa, Anthony Sorelli. I want um, to mention him too. Kind of like MVP worthy, but still yeah. his his impact on the team's play is absolutely worth mentioning. Yeah, he's definitely been kind of that guy that, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but stepped up his game this year. Um. Um, coming into the season, um, I don't, I don't think I knew who Sorelli was. Um, so it's kind of cool to see him really carve out a role on that team. It's kind of a lot like uh, Dano on Montreal. Yeah, honestly, that, it could that be universal, player. universal player. Um, could be slotted in anywhere. Relying upon uh, Sorelli, where he stands out is he's in his impact offensively. That honestly looking at underlying numbers rivals Bergeron, Patrice Bergeron, in terms of like defensive goals about, saved above average and expected goals against per 60. Like they're pretty close, if not Sorelli's a little bit better. And, mm-hmm. you know, he produces enough offensively. Like Sorelli had 44 points in 68 games, which is 
on pace to be like a, a second line forward on pretty much any team in the league. Yeah, that's good. Really good. Um, good year. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I went with a very basic, <laughs> basic response for this. I hope you have something spicier than me. Um, mine's pretty white bread, but uh, I've got Austin Matthews. Um, and here's why, Sean. Thank you for asking. Tell, tell me why. <laughs> um, 70 games played, 47 goals. So he missed that rocket three-way tie with Ovi and Pasta by one goal, which sucks for him. Um, 33 we'll assists. Shot. <laughs> yeah. 80 points, plus 19. Only eight penalty minutes, um, which is pretty remarkable, actually. Um, so he had a 1.14 point per game, tied him with Marner, but Marner only played 59 games, so 11 less games. So Matthews is more impressive. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 25 power play points, five game-winning goals, 290 shots, 16.2 shooting percentage. So again, when you're shooting that hot, just shoot everything. Why not? Um, and one remarkable stat for me um, was his average ice time was 20.58 average per game. Even with Babs not playing him as much in the start of the year, he played a lot of minutes. I mean, he probably plays the entire power play, so that ups uh, his total. But that's a lot. Um, and 55% face-off one, which is uh, yeah. Great. For for a young center, that is ab- that is phenomenal. Like usually guys around his age are maybe like high forties. Yeah. A lot of comparisons like Eichel and McDavid are barely hitting fifty percent. So for Matthews to be at fifty five percent, and like he's you know he's a center obviously, so like he's taking a lot of faceoffs, but he still has that high number. Yeah, yeah, it puts his team in a better spot, right? Um, especially if he's getting you know I think it's almost close to like. 59 or like 60 percent offensive zone starts if he can win that face off that's a good spot to be in definitely um especially so, if him playing so much on the power play yeah for sure that's a chance um, right off the bat yeah so he's he's uh my choice no, nobody really came close for me how about you i honestly i struggled with the same thing like the maple leafs had a lot of players struggling through the season like they were not they did not play up to the standards that they had probably expected to but Austin Matthews was kind of the one who carried the team through the season. So I ended up picking him as well. However, um, I wanted to point out as kind of a bright spot, who's not really MVP, but he could be a very useful forward uh, uh, within the next couple of years is Ilya Mikhaev. That he was, he was kind of in the midst of an impressive uh, rookie season there before injuries took him out, but he kind of developed a bit of a, I want to say cult following around (laughs) the NHL. Like he just had like, the right personality, the right play style to get the Leafs fans on on his bandwagon, and he was useful in pretty much every situation. He was he did really well. So for yeah. him, he ended up he ended up only playing thirty nine games, but he had twenty three points, and he's playing fifteen minutes a game. Yeah, so that's um, an overall positive positive sign that he could be kind of one of those midline depth forwards that's going to be useful all around. Kind of that same vein is. As like Dano and Sorelli. Just don't get too good because then they can't afford them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, he uh, he was very endearing with his comments on like soup. Um, <laughs> it was one of those, um, you know, Russian can, player can comes very, over very in depth <laughs> argument and discussion about soup. One of those one of those things where it's like Russian player comes to North America, doesn't speak a lot of English, introduces himself to fan with his lovable answer. You know, <laughs> very down to earth. I love soup. <laughs> you don't eat enough here. <laughs> Weird <laughs> Russian crossover <laughs> comments. So um, definitely uh, had some cute moments, um, but definitely they'll be, they'll be glad to have him back um, going into this playoff run here because um, he was, um, I think, sorely missed in that middle of the lineup, that middle six. Um, they weren't able to really replace his play style with anybody successfully. No. No, you don't, you can't replace a player like that. It's it's hard to have someone just jump in and and provide what he had been providing in the in those mid, middle forward spots. It seems kind of a weird um situation where Matthews is the you know the, the de facto MVP on that team and Anderson's not in the conversation. Um it, Anderson struggled. I didn't yeah he he was kind of he had some rough patches through the year and like he's still a good goalie but he he was the reason that they lost some of those games like he wasn't he wasn't winning them the games that that like an mvp goalie would have to yeah and i wonder if that's like fatigue or or what but you know they've they've been chasing that backup for a while um I mean, they still think they made a huge mistake not doing whatever they could to retain McElhaney. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got Jack Campbell now, but bit of a, yeah, just kind of like cap hell, right? Like, right. <laughs> not, not a whole lot you can you can do when you're bumping up against the cap like they are. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I wonder if that's fatigue, and you know, I've seen that in Holtby going into playoffs or that year he beat Broder's record for wins. Um, he just wasn't playing his normal standard in playoffs. He was tired. So I wonder if that's starting to hit Anderson playing like, seems like 70 games a season for the Leafs for the past think, few seasons. I think we've learned around hockey that like that ends up being too many games for the goalie. Yeah. Most teams, most of the successful teams now have started going down to eight, maybe not necessarily a 1A, 1B rotation, but like a 50-30 split instead being the ideal. Yeah, I mean, to jump back to the, the start of this MVP conversation we've had, I mean, look at Tuka Rask, right? Like exactly. played, I think it was 41 games. Um, So exactly half. Um, You know, he might have been called in in some of those, but... um. You know, they, they put trust in their backup, and the backup played well. And together mm-hmm. they won the Jennings. So, exactly. You know, sometimes it takes two to tango, Sean. And I don't think the Leafs had their dance partner for a, a lot of the year. Well, remember, um, remember, uh, was it Hutchinson that they kind of gave like that one game to, and then he didn't play very well, and they basically traded for someone an hour after the game? Yeah. Kind of says that that's all you need to. Well, that that says it all. That action. Yeah, and it's like any goalie in your system is going to be like, oh, it only takes one bad game and like one really bad game, and I'm gone. So, uh, 
probably pretty nervous going in, For which sure. doesn't help. I bet they're, I mean, Toronto can afford a lot of like sports psychologists, but that's, uh, it's not a good spot to put goalies in. So anyway, it's just well, it was that um, it was that Casimir Cascuo, right? Yeah, that they gave. He had that one game he played, but got pulled, or he let in like six goals. Yeah, or no, he he let in six goals. He played the full game, but he let in six goals, and that that was that was his game that season. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming up, kid. You don't get any second chances here. Yeah, it's like <laughs> thank, we'll play for, Freddy for again. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably taking its toll on all the goalies. Um, yeah, so anyway, Matthews, great year. Marner had a good year, but didn't play as many games. Um, so uh, Matt, Matthews had the highlights this season. Marner yeah. kind of was coming in off of the uh, contract stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, kind of tainted his rep a little bit, but I think his good play can build that back up yeah um any other random atlantic division players you wanted to shout out i think i think we covered everybody who uh had had some sort of mvp worthy or bright spot season so uh i think that wraps things up for this week on clappercast if you enjoy what you're hearing make sure to spread the word around and subscribe to our podcast uh, if you want to keep up to date with the latest content, you can follow us on Instagram at Clappercast Media or on Twitter at Clappercast. So thank you all for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with more Hockey Talk.